Another edition of the Behind the You podcast brought to you in part by UFIT Gyms. Train together, win together. Introducing UFIT Gyms as the official fitness center for the Miami Hurricanes. Ready to join them. All it takes is $1 down. Let's go Canes. And joining us now, Dave Wanstat, who, you know, Dave, I was doing the research three years, I think, at Miami. But like you're attached, I feel like, in a much bigger way, probably also because your time with the Dolphins. But first and foremost, thanks for doing this. Anytime I get a chance to talk about little UM football, it's always exciting. I, uh, my days there, as you mentioned, and then at the Dolphins for six years, you know, so 10 years of my coaching career right there. And, and, and I still got some very good friends down there. You know, Nick Christian, uh, our attorney. I was good friends with Steve DeBarleben, who was a chaplain then, and Don Bailey. You know, I, I was at a practice oh, a couple of years ago. I was in there time for a wedding, and I went by when Manny was there watch practice. Don was there. So I've kept those ties up to this day. And then Mario, you know, I was doing Fox college football and Fox is big 10, primarily big 12 and Pac 12. And Mario at the time was the head coach at Oregon. So we had some dinners and media things. So we, we connected that way. So I, um, I'm, I'm pretty on top of what's going on there. So you brought up Mario. Let's start there, actually. Your interactions with him, your relationship with him, what he's trying to accomplish, what you've learned from him over the years. But also when you went to Pitt trying to rebuild a program, right? Pitt story, tradition, NFL guys, first round picks, all that kind of stuff. Just what he's trying to work through, what he accomplished and, and what you respect about him and, and where he's going. Mario and his brother, the last year that we were at the Hurricanes, we were recruiting him. Lewis was on the uh, team already, and I remember because I was—I always kidded Mario. He was a scout team lineman, and I was running the defense, obviously at the time. <laughs> so I was always screaming at him, you know, you got to do better. You got to try to block Jerome Brown or whoever it was at the time. You know, good luck, so, right? Good luck on that one. Yeah, Cortez Kennedy or somebody. But uh, no, you know what? And then the other thing too, you mentioned Pitt. When I was at Pitt, Mario was at FIU. And they actually came up to Pittsburgh and played us, you know, so I, I followed his career. He knows what he's doing. Look at Oregon right now. I mean, Oregon could run the table and they're a legit, legit in my mind, playoff team this year. If they run the table, they are going to be right there in the midst of the college football playoff. It's all the players that obviously that Mario recruited. So he knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. A hundred percent. So Let's talk about your time at UM. Let's reminisce a little bit. Let me ask you this. When did you first meet Jimmy? Jimmy and I were assistant coaches together on the Pitt staff. I was on the staff there when we won the national championship in 76. And then Coach Majors was the head coach. He went to Tennessee. Then Jackie Sherrill took over as the head coach of Pitt in 77. And Jimmy left Arkansas and came to Pitt. So we were assistants together for two years. Then he got the Oklahoma State job and talked me into leaving Dan Marino and Hugh Green and <laughs> Jimbo Covert to go with him to Stillwater, Oklahoma. So he is the ultimate recruiter. He's the ultimate recruiter. Jimmy was on the very first podcast we did here behind the U 80 something episodes ago. I was listening back to it the other day. And he talked, I asked him about the defensive philosophy that he started with. And you, I'm sure you carried on that kind of four, three speed up the field. And he said it first started when you guys were at Pitt. So is that true? And sort of what were the tenets of that? Yeah, it, it was. It started at Pitt. Then it really kind of came to life in Oklahoma State because we weren't as good as Oklahoma. We weren't as good as Nebraska. 
and we couldn't sit in there and go shoe to shoe with those guys. So we kind of recruited the undersized guy, just weren't as big and strong, but we were quick. And so we kind of kept chipping away at this defense and chipping away with it where we had athletes and we could at least play as we call it a single gap defense where guys weren't really taking on blocks as much as trying to make some things happen. It was an aggressive defense. And then when we got to Miami, to be quite honest with you, now all of a sudden you get great players as the Jerome Browns and you get Dan Cilios and Russell Maryland's and Cortez Kennedy's and Bill Hawkins and on and on. The list is endless. Now you're doing those same things with great players and you get the results that we got. So is it true you left him to go to USC before you came to Miami? I did. I actually left him. Uh, we were at Oklahoma State four years and we finally went to a bowl game. That school was on probation when we got there. I think we had maybe 30 players on scholarship. Think about that. What? Yeah, it might have been 40. But I mean, we had half. We were on probation. So we finally got that built up. But Oklahoma at that time, Nebraska was in the con- We were all in the same conference. It, it was tough. And uh, I got a, an opportunity. USC called and wanted to talk to me. So I went out there and um, it was tough leaving Jimmy. But sure enough, we went out there and we won the second year I was at SC. We went to the Rose Bowl. We beat Ohio State, Chris Carter, Chris Spielman, that whole team. And then Jimmy gets the Miami job. And I remember when he called me and said, come on, you come down here with me and run the defense. And I remember talking to my wife and she says, Terry, I want you to see something. We walked in the garage. I still had boxes in there that I hadn't unpacked yet, you know, from Oklahoma State to USC. But uh, anyway, it, it all worked out. So he makes the call and come on. How's the conversation go? Was it a hard decision? Did he twist your arm a little bit? Initially, I said, I just can't do it. And then Tony Wise, who was with us everywhere we've been, offensive line coach. Tony was on the staff with Jimmy at Miami. And Tony and I always roomed together at the coaches convention. Everywhere we coached, at Pitt, Oklahoma State, we always roomed together for the National Coaches Convention. It just so happens that this year it was in New Orleans. And so Tony was going to pick me up. I was flying in from California. And when he picked me up, Jimmy was in the back seat. Pat Jones was with him, who took over for him at Oklahoma State. And uh, we ended up going to, I think it was Pat O'Brien's. And we just started talking. And about one o'clock in the morning, I called my wife from a payphone. Now, keep in mind, payphone, no cell phone. This was like 86, I guess would have been, yeah, 86, and called my wife and said, you know, we got to take this job. Let's let's go to Miami. Let's get back. You know, we're East Coast people, Pittsburgh people. So I said, we- so what, did he, what did he tell you? What was the, the pitch, so to speak? He didn't have to tell me much. I mean, because I, I had worked for him when he was a head coach. Him and I were assistants together, and we just kind of clicked. So I knew what I was getting into. I knew the environment that I'd be working in. Uh, I knew how Jimmy would treat my wife and my kids. And I knew that whole atmosphere, the family atmosphere. And then um, again, you know, getting back on the East Coast, having an opportunity to, because I didn't have many people visit me. When I, being a guy from Pittsburgh and going out to Southern California, back then flights, you know, I mean, it, it, it was tough. You're on like another uh, another planet that far away. I'd imagine your decision uh, was confirmed when you probably got down and, and saw your personnel. Yeah, I, I, I did. And, and like I say, you know, you're coming from USC. So that experience, though, I'll tell you what, the experience 
was just outstanding that I got at USC and winning. And I know that that it helped me grow professionally, but it was also good for Jimmy too, when he stood up to the podium and he was hiring a guy that just went to the Rose Bowl from USC, you know, who he knew and stuff. So, so what'd you think when you first, when you first, I don't know when you got down there, I guess spring football, when you saw who you had in your unit, what'd you think? Yeah, obviously the talent, you know, players win games, not coaches. So I, I had outstanding talent. No question about it. And I was probably a little bit surprised by the facilities because I had been to Florida State and I had been to Florida and I knew that was our competition. And Miami back then was so far behind on all the facilities. That was probably the thing that kind of caught my attention, you know, because we were behind in that area, but yet we still had a great nucleus of players. So what made it work? What made that group work? The players. The thing that made it work was Jimmy had a blueprint on what we had to do to win. We had a group of, he put together a group of coaches, you know, they used to call us, I think the Miami Mafia, because we would, five of us would jog almost every day. We would leave the facility and we would jog down past the hospital there in Coral Gables and we would make the turn down there near Blue Road or, and we would talk football all the way, all the way. So who was in the group? It was me, Tony Wise, our trainer, Kevin O'Neill, was in that group. Uh, Rich Dalrymple was in that group. He was the assistant PR director at the time. Uh, the other coaches that were in that group, Butch Davis was part of that group. Trying to think who went on offense. We, other than Tony Wise, we had about five guys, you know. And just talking ball. Yeah, that's all. And that, uh, we continued that. As, and, and so, I mean, my, my point is that we had – you know, everybody kind of knew their niche and uh, we were all in this thing together. And Jimmy knew that there were, were no cracks in the armor. So what was his blueprint? Well, to get players. <laughs> that makes it easy, right? That makes it easy. And we used to always say, let's get some of those players that do things that we don't have to coach. And we would say that sarcastically, but there's something to that. So the recruiting was the big thing. And then it was developing these kids. And the interesting thing was, you know, Miami's kind of a pro town. It's not like Pittsburgh. You know, the Dolphins were 20 minutes up the road. So it's, it's one of those towns where, at least in my mind, you know, the NFL development of players was big. So we, we ran a scheme on offense and defense that we could develop these players and get them ready for the next level. All it took was, you know, getting some guys drafted high in the first round, and then they start talking about it. And, and one thing led to another. So it was really, a, you know, how we would practice, how we would approach it, and then getting the players that were willing to do it and jump in and, and make that commitment. You had so many good players, so this might be unfair, but the guys we don't have to coach, you said, so to speak, are the guys who can make it look easy. So who were some of those guys on your side of the ball that you just put on the tape and you're like, well, that guy, he's making me look real good there. I could, there were so many of them that I'm going to miss half of them. I mean, you know, we got guys like Benny Blades, right? Linebackers. We had Winston Moss and George Myra Jr., you know, and then obviously Jerome Brown. I mentioned Cilio, Bill Hawkins, Danny Stubbs. Then we get Russell Maryland, Cortez Kennedy. The the list is is endless. I mean, that's just on the defense, you know, and then offensively, they had same thing with Alonzo Highsmith and Michael and Vinny and practices must have been fun, huh? Well, I tell you what, we did a, the one thing that we did that they don't do now, we, we did good against good, you know, so it was going to be, I mean, you know, Mario Cristobal is an example, an offensive lineman. He was going to be going against Cortez Kennedy or Russell Maryland 
And so it was uh, iron sharpening iron, you know, every day. And, and that was the big thing. When we would get into games, our players would say, oh, coach, it was tougher in practice and it wasn't a game. So 86, your first year there, you're, you're breezing through and you get to the, the championship game, the Fiesta Bowl, and that one doesn't go your way. Jimmy says his worst coaching job, it still pains him today. Does it still hurt you? Yeah, it does. And, and you know what's interesting? Uh, we held Penn State's total offensive production was 127 yards. That's run and pass combined. And I think we had three turnovers uh, defensively. That record stood for the least amount of yards. This is why it really bothered our deep, because we played as good as we possibly could have ever played. Those numbers for the least amount of yards ever, like in a Fiesta Bowl, stayed for about 15 years. I think Wyoming or somebody broke it five years ago. So it was a difficult loss. You know, there's a bad loss when you turn the ball over like we did, you know, 100 times or whatever. But that's one way to lose a game. And then another way to lose a game is really have your players play and play well and lose one. So it was, it is a tough, for a lot of different reasons, it was a tough loss. So what was that off season like? Well, you know what? We lost so many players. We did not change a darn thing. That was an amazing thing. Every, you know, we were saying, okay, we, we lose Jerome Bryan and we lose this player and Winston Moss, you know, on and on all the seniors. I don't have the list in front of me. But uh, so we're we going to have to make some changes with what we're doing on offense or defense or special teams. And we didn't. We just stayed and tried to develop the young players that we had. I and mean, we didn't know about Steve Walsh, you know, but I know he didn't have the talent, wasn't as big, wasn't as fast, wasn't as strong as Vinny. So, I mean, you know, we went into this season with a lot of unanswered questions in every position on our team. And I believe that was the year. Who did we open up with? Florida or Florida State, I think. Florida. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll tell you, I, I didn't sleep much that week. I mean, you know, cause Florida is Florida, you know? And then I think, what did we do? They scored three points or I think it was four. I think it was two safeties, right. Or something like that. That's right. Willis Pegues. They, they, we snapped it over the guy's head twice and they got four points. So I think that game did so much, uh, psychologically for our coaches and just as importantly, our players, because, I don't care. Even though, though Florida was not a national championship team at the time, Florida is Florida. And we all knew what they had talent wise. And we all knew what they had facility wise. So to win that game was, was a huge start. When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Lebovic Law Group. At Lebovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lebovic. Lebovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes and proud sponsor of all things you. Go you! So obviously the Florida State game that year is big, and usually the guys that come on here, I think most of them have kind of been on the offensive side. Walsh has been on here and a couple other guys. So we always talk about the plays to, to Michael Irvin, but you guys go up in that game, and then they come back and score, and it's a one-point game. They go for two. So what do you remember from your vantage point of how that game ended? Selwyn Brown, he was our safety. I think it was him and Bubba McDowell. Bubba, I think, was a corner at the time that we moved to safety. But, uh, yeah, what I remember by that game, before the two-point play is, I mean, they had Sammy Smith and Dexter Carter. I mean, they had guys that played 
Sammy was a number one pick and Dexter Carter played for 10 years for the 49ers. I mean, you know, so they, they were every bit as talented as we were arguably maybe more, maybe, I mean, some position. And when it came down from two to the two point play, I always believed in, in no situations, give your players a chance to play. Don't think yourself, you know, what, what do we do? Well, what are our players going to be most confident with? We weren't quite sure what they were going to do. So what adjustment can our guys make going full speed in three seconds time and, and be effective? So that's what we did. That was the defense we called. Do you remember it like clear as day? Like, do you remember it? Oh, yeah. I, I remember Selwyn Brown busting up the pass. You've been in college. You've been in the NFL. Is there anything quite like those rivalries? I mean, I know this year you were the honorary captain for the backyard brawl. I mean, when it comes down to that in collegiate sports, USC, you said Ohio State. I mean, it was a, it was a Rose Bowl. I mean, it doesn't get much more fun emotionally than that, does it? No, it, it's uh, for Miami not to play Florida State every year. Just from my experience, Florida at the time, though, was not uh, it wasn't the same because Florida State would be in Miami recruiting. Maybe it was because of scheduling and, and they were good. I mean, they were one, they were two, you know, Bobby Bowden. I mean, everything that came along with that program was second to none. And boy, that was, uh, we, we had some great games with them. Great games. So how gratifying was it that year you, you win it? You bounce back from 86 and you win it. It was crazy. You know, you, you say we probably didn't appreciate, I didn't at least, that win at Florida State because at the time, the year before that, we felt like we had a definite national championship team, right? We're preseason number one. We stayed with it all year. We had the talent to do it. We had a Heisman Trophy winner, on and on and on. But that next year, to be quite honest with you, well, we had a lot of guys that were just playing for the first time. So we that was not a season that we were looking to January and saying, okay, you know, where are we going to be? I mean, that was a season that it was a week-to-week challenge and they all are i'm not downplaying one season to the other but that year there was a lot more unknowns than what we had the year before that and then of course 88 i think i asked this to jimmy if there's instant replay cleveland gary overturned yes i would say so yeah i mean you know but i I watched that 30 for 30 thing and i was out there in la and and jimmy and i got together the next morning you know four o'clock or something I told him, you know, he didn't really want to talk about it much. I get that. But we didn't play very good. I mean, you know, we we went for the fake punt. We don't make it. The next play, they hit us with like a 50-yard bomb, you know? I mean. But they were good. You look at their roster, Tony Rice, Rocket, and Tim we, Brown. We, we, and, T, and Steve, we, you know, we turned it over a couple times. We had a couple turnovers. We don't make a fake punt. We give up a big play or two on defense. I mean, we didn't play as good as we were capable of playing them. And we were playing on the road, and they were very excellent. They were, I mean, they had Chris Zorich, and at the time, Jeff Alm, I mean, Andy Heck, I mean, you know, number one picks. I mean, they, like you said, they were, they, they were a great football team at the time. And um, that was a disappointing there because we'd have played as good as we were capable of, and they beat us, and they beat us, but we didn't. So Jimmy leaves for Dallas. No, I don't know if I have this right. I read this. I might, who knows? It was on the internet. So who knows what is true or what is not true. But before Jimmy left for Dallas, were you hired by Don Shula? Yes, I was hired. Um, I was there for about six weeks. And uh, what had happened was, you know, I was starting to get notoriety and some college teams were interviewing me for head coaching jobs. But I kind of had the NFL in the back of my mind, to be quite honest with you. 
and uh, I would go to every mini camp and every training camp that the Dolphins had. We would just drive up there and I would watch practice and I would sit in there with all the Dottie and, and Joe Green at the time and, and just try to learn, just trying to learn. So I, uh, the Steelers called up and, and Coach Noel had, was looking for a linebacker coach. So he wanted to know if I would come up and interview, they asked. So I flew to Pittsburgh and I interviewed at the Steelers. And the last question that Coach Noel asked me, who do you know in the NFL that I could call for reference? Well, Marty Schottenheimer is a pit guy. So Marty was at Cleveland. So I said, you can call Marty Schottenheimer or you could call Coach Shula. You know, I think he knows who I am. So I called his office and I told his secretary, Ann, I said, you know, I just interviewed, just tell Coach Shula if, if he feels good about helping me, I would appreciate it because I, I want to get in the NFL sometime. That was it. Two days later, the phone rings. Dave, it's Coach Shula. He said, um, do you hear anything from Pittsburgh from the Steelers yet? I said, no. You know, they were going to talk to a couple of people. He said, listen, what are you doing tomorrow? Could you come up here and we could sit down and talk? I may have an opening. So I went and told Jimmy. So I drive up there. Two days later, he offers me the linebacker job at the Dolphins. So I take the job. I finished recruiting for two weeks. It was because it was February. I remember it. And then I take the Dolphins job. And we're in the off-season program, and we're into meetings and playbooks, and I'm meeting with John Offerdahl. You know, I was going to be coaching John and some of the other linebackers there. And then Jimmy calls and says, hey, don't say a word to anybody. But, you know, we used to always hang out at Carlos and Pepe's down there at Dayland Mall. He says, uh, just come by yourself. Meet me down at Carlos and Pepe's. I meet him down there. I said, what's up? He said, you know that uh, she said, something new just happened in this weekend. I said, what? And he said, remember that friend of mine used to come to the Oklahoma State games? I said, yeah, Jerry Jones. He says, well, he's going to buy the Dallas Cowboys. I said, you're kidding me. He said, you want to hear something crazier? I said, yeah. He says, I'm going to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I says, get out of here. He said, no, you want to hear something crazier yet? We get this thing worked out. You're coming with me as a defensive coordinator. <laughs> so how'd that go with Shula? Well, then Jimmy... Once he got the job, you know, he obviously everything happened. Jerry hadn't even bought the team yet. And then once that happened and Jerry offered Jimmy the job, then Jimmy called Coach Shula. And I remember being up there working and Jimmy said, hey, I'm going to call Coach Shula tomorrow. I got the job and come up and talk to him. And I remember Coach Shula came in to, to me and said, hey, you know, I could really be a stickler on this thing because you signed a contract with the Dolphins in the NFL. But this is going to be a nice promotion for you. You're going to be a defensive coordinator on and on and on. And he says, this, this will be good for you. So he was, he was fantastic about it. That's awesome. One last thing, and a couple more topics. How fun was it to coach Jerome Brown? Like what kind of personality was he? I've had Russell. I've had Cortez at the Dolphins. I had Jason Taylor. I had Tim Bowens. I mean, these are all Pro Bowl players. At the Bears, I had Chris Zorich. I had Richard Dent. You know, Charles Haley. I mean, I, a lot of great. Hall of Fame players. Jerome Brown was the best player that I've ever coached. Uh, and I say that from a mentality standpoint, from a wanting to win standpoint, from an ability standpoint to be able to play the run and the pass. From a leadership standpoint, the guy was, uh, you say, Coach Jerome Brown, he just made sure Jerome Brown got off the bus, you know? You know, so you mentioned Jason Taylor. How do you think he'll be as a coach? Now, I watch him on the sideline. He's really good with the players. I know he had a great passion for the game. That's uh, probably got to be unique for you to see him now in a different role. Jason was probably, of all the linemen that I coached, he was probably the smartest of any of them. 
And I think, you know, he, he's a very smart guy. But then when you carry that over to the football field, I think because of his size, you know, he was at a little disadvantage all the time because he was undersized. He was one of those guys that he knew every he knew everything about the defense and he knew everything about the guy he was going to be going against. And he knew ways that he could take advantage of him. I think he'll be a great coach. Well, you got to, I mean, as someone who's been a college head coach, right, and who's, who's had to coach and recruit and develop younger kids at Pitt and Miami, it must be invaluable what he can impart on those kids. Yeah, he, he, absolutely. And, and you know what? The other thing, too, he had two sons that went through it. Yep. So he, I think that's a real plus for him that he gets that part of it. You know, he knows where these kids are at. He's got college sons playing college. He's talking to them all the time, so he knows – he knows the problems in today's society that young college kids, doesn't matter where you're playing, LSU, Arizona, Miami. I mean, they're, everybody's dealing with it. You've covered the Big Ten for the Big Ten Network for the better part of nine years. Josh Gaddis was at Michigan, our offensive coordinator, for the last three years, came to Miami. Obviously, there's been a whole lot they've been dealing with. But as you watch Michigan the last few years when he was calling the plays, what do you think of the job he did and what Miami has in an offensive coordinator? You know, Jim Harbaugh was my quarterback when I was at the Bears. So Jim and I have a great relationship. So I follow Michigan real close. Uh, probably about a year and a half ago at Michigan, when Coach Gaddis was still there, they really made a commitment. Jim's first couple of years there, they were changing coaches and they were changing offensive systems. We're going to run it. We're going to throw it. We're going to go quarterback option. We're, you know, it, it was all over the place. They did not have an identity. And I think the last couple of years, maybe two and a half years when they made up their minds, this is our identity. This is what we're going to do. That made the difference. And so the only thing that I would say was, I mean, I love what they do. They're old fashioned college football and they are committed to it. And they recruit players to fit into this system. If this is what Mario wants to do on offense, it'll work. And there's proof that it'll work. So my hat's off to him. I, I, I think the guy knows what he's doing. I mean, he's got a resume to prove it. You know, now he's just got to get the players to, to fill that role and stay with it. That's the thing. These coaches nowadays, I mean, everybody's into the computers and everybody's into analytics and statistics and numbers. It still comes down to blocking and tackling. And you better have a good foundation. When we went to the Dallas Cowboys, we couldn't stop a soul on defense. And I remember having some heart-to-hearts with Jimmy and saying, you know, boy, everybody's playing this 3-4 defense, and the Giants were going to Super Bowls, and they were 3-4 team up here with Parcells and Belichick, and uh, Kansas City was real good with Marty. And I, and I said to Jimmy, you know, man, wait. and he says, Dave, let's just get better players. Let's just get better players. We have a system. We know our system better than anybody, and we know that it will work. Being a head coach, I've, all, I've said that same conversation to my assistants. And that's what I would tell Mario. And that's what I would tell uh, his assistant coaches. you got a system that works. Get the players. Stay with it. Don't get influenced by the outset, by all the noise. All right. Coach wants that. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. You told great stories. I wish Carlos and Pepe's was still there. That, that beer, that, that beer that, well, I don't know about 9, 9.30 in the morning, but uh, <laughs> a cold beer sounds good. If Jimmy and I were in Miami, we would find another place. You can best assure of that. Enjoy yourself, Coach. I'm glad you're on this side of the equation now, doing, doing all your media stuff. Enjoy the grandkids and shuffling them around and everything. And thanks for catching up, and hopefully we'll see you in Miami soon. All right, Josh. Hey, tell Don Bailey I said hello. 100%. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, Coach.
All right, Coach Wanstead, thank you so much. We'll close with this. You can change the trajectory of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit miami.edu slash D-C-I-E to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000 to discover which course is right for you.